All right. Good morning, Body Dayton. How are you guys this morning? All right. Well, it is my pleasure. I feel off-centered. that better? Now I'm probably still messing with somebody. I'm not quite centered. But for those of you who don't know, my name is Chansey. I'm one of the pastors here at the Body Dayton, and I get the opportunity to share with you this morning as we dig into God's Word. And we're doing this specifically this morning, um, continuing our series now, Pastor Ryan kicked off our series called Bible Study, and then Pastor Dwayne spoke on it, and now I get to share with you about it, right? So do you guys remember when Pastor Ryan spoke, he talked about knowing your weapon, right? And he, in that, went back into the story of David and Goliath and talked about knowing our weapon and the weapon that David used when he fought Goliath, right? You remember all that story? All right, so then we got Pastor Dwayne, and he talked about how to use your weapon, right? And sometimes we use the weapon offensively, sometimes defensively. Sometimes we just need to practice with our weapon, and he walked us through the Romans road, right? So we were studying the book of Romans and talking about all those things that maybe you'd heard of the Romans road, didn't really know what it was, but that passage is walking through that, specifically leading up to our opportunity for a response to Jesus Christ, so today we're going to continue our series on um, Bible study, and I'm going to keep using the word weapon, but I'm going to turn it around. Because when we talked about knowing our weapon and using our weapon, right, that is somewhat based out of the, um, the, the weapon that we're talking about there is the Bible uses the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of truth or the Bible as our weapon, right? And so there's definitely references back to that. And which made sense because we're doing a series on Bible study. So I'm taking a slightly different take on that today because when I'm going to talk about the weapon of why, which doesn't really apply, like this isn't a bunch of why, but my goal in this is to talk about using the question of why when I study the Bible. Because Ryan so beautifully brought out to us, right, how many times have you guys heard the story of David and Goliath? right? It's not just a Bible story. It's not just for those that are in church, right? And the Bible story portion of it, right? Popular culture knows the story of David and Goliath, right? And because it has become so familiar, it's easy to, to gloss over that story. So today, we're going to hit another story from the Old Testament, and we're going to use the weapon of why to ask some questions while we study this to kind of understand what it is that God's trying to teach us in the middle of this. Right. So as we get into this, kind of the reason this got put on my heart came all the way back at the youth retreat. And the speaker at the youth retreat talked about one of the um, one of the plagues from Egypt. And he said, yeah, I'm not really going to go into like kind of why those plagues were. But, you know, do you ever have one of those things where like somebody says something and you're like, hmm, now I need to understand how that works. I'm an engineer. That's pretty much my life. Right. I if you show me something, I want to understand how that works. I want to tear it apart, break it down and see if I can redo it or watch a YouTube video of how to do it. That's I was talking to somebody else this morning. Right. Like uh, this is this is how I learn. So I love tearing things apart, figuring out how they work and how they go. So you're going to go on a journey with an engineer pastor this morning and we're going to try to figure out how this works. So the why this Egypt there's 10, 10 plagues, right? So how many of you guys have kind of heard this story, heard references to the story, right? Being in Egypt, there was 10 plagues. Some really bad stuff happened, and there was with the Pharaoh, and right? So we're going to dig into that a little bit more today. So 
you also are stuck with a Star Wars fan, right? So if any, how many Star Wars fans in here? Right? Okay, so what we're going to do right now, this is the part of the Star Wars movie, right, where you've got the, got the stars in the background and the marquee starts to scroll, right? You've got to figure out the setting, like what's going on in the galaxy far, far away before we get into the story of this movie, right? So this is me. I want to set this up a little bit because my first question of why is why are the children of Israel in Egypt? So how did they get there? The problem is I'm also a dad... That's not a problem, but the, <laughs> when it comes to how do I communicate things, right, you're going to get the dad part of me too, because how many of you have watched Frozen? All right. How many of you have watched Frozen 2? All right. How many of you remember the part in Frozen 2 where they, they, uh, where Olaf comes out and like does the recap of all of Frozen 1 in like 30 seconds? Like... If you haven't seen it, it's, it's pretty funny because, well, Olaf is just funny. So I thought about doing the recap of everything that led up to this point as, as Olaf did. I just don't know that I could do it. But we're going to get a quick short recap. Hey, where's Ryan? Ryan, I think it would be awesome. Just, just an idea. Feel free to take this or throw it in the trash if you want. Ryan's a comedian. I would love to see Ryan do a bit with Bible story recaps by Olaf because I think Ryan could kill that. So we're going to go into this a little bit, and I'm going to jump back, and we're going to start with Abraham. So I know, you know, the world's been created, flood, then we'll get to Abraham, right? And with Abraham, you have Father Abraham. So who can say that without wanting to sing the song? I mean, it's pretty hard. If any of you have worked in children's ministry with me, I love that song because it wears the kids out. And it if you don't know, it's like got this catchy tune and these actions, and it says, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, which, yes, oh, this is the greatest. I love this church. You guys are so good. All right, so Father Abraham and many sons. So if you don't, if you haven't read this part of the Bible, Father Abraham didn't literally have many sons. Father Abraham had how many sons? One. Right? So it took some faith, but it starts with Abraham, right? God comes to Abraham, talks to him, says, you're going to have, you're going to be the father of great nations of people, right? And he had one son. Okay, God, don't see it, but okay, it's starting, right? So that's Father Abraham, his one son. The story goes on. God tells him to sacrifice the one son that he actually has, right? And then as a test of his faith. So we're kind of getting the, getting the flow of how things are going here, right? So Isaac says, I almost got sacrificed. I want to have at least two sons in case God wants to sacrifice one of my sons, right? Okay, maybe that's not exactly what happened, but he had two sons, right? So Abraham had Isaac. He had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Welcome to this Bible telling about truth where there was parents that had favorite kids, right? Esau was the outdoorsy hunter and it was dad's favorite. Jacob was the stayed home and worked at home and was mom's favorite and the sibling rivalry takes off. So we've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Well, later on, we'll find out that Jacob said, what's with two sons? I need to have 12, right? I mean, he's, he's escalating here a little bit. But of his 12 sons, one of them was Joseph. And the sibling rivalry that he experienced went a little bit farther because 10 of the brothers ganged up on one of the brothers, sold him into slavery in another country. Didn't sound very good, but this is the Bible. This is how this played out, right? This is what really happened. So here's 
Joseph, in another country, slave, starts working hard, doing everything he's supposed to do, gets thrown in prison for something he didn't do, interprets dreams, everybody forgets about him interpreting the dream, gets left in prison for a couple more years, finally comes out of prison, interprets the dream for the Pharaoh, ends up being number two in the land and owning everything, right? Redoing the entire Egyptian economy to save up for years of famine. Years of famine rolls around, his family's now starving in their country, they end up back in Egypt, right? And they come there and then Joseph takes care of them, gives them a whole part of the country to live in, and they start to grow. So that's how they got there, right? That's how those pieces fit together. So now we've got Joseph's family and all of those, his 11 brothers all living there in Egypt, and they start to multiply. Well, what happens when they start to multiply? Well, they become, there's so many of them because I know one made two, made 12, made, I mean, made like 10 million. I mean, there was a bunch of these guys, a bunch of the Israelites living in Egypt so much that these immigrants that had come, showed up in Egypt start to be so populous that the people of Egypt began to be scared that they were gonna take over their country. So these ruling people in their own country where a bunch of immigrants showed up, start to get so freaked out, they make them all slaves. Not good enough. The slaves still keep populating. What happens after that? Well, then they start killing off babies, killing off the males, killing off whatever it takes to keep these people as slaves in this country. And that's not enough. If you continue on the story, then one of those babies gets adopted by the princess. So this adopted immigrant baby becomes in Pharaoh's palace, ends up becoming a murderer who then gets exiled then shows up back in Pharaoh's palace and is like, hey, by the way, I'm going to destroy your economy. I want all your slaves and we're leaving. <laughs> I will try not to make this political right now, but if your mind went there, right? Like, what are you doing? We got all these immigrants. They're part of our economy. Like, we've seen this before, haven't we? And people struggled with it. So this is the background in which this story picks up. You've got this Thank you so much. Well, you've got this, this immigrant, murdering, treacherous leader that suddenly shows back up and says, I'm taking all these people and I'm going to leave. And Pharaoh says, no. Pharaoh says, no. And enter the 10 plagues. First plague. Well, maybe we could back up a little bit. Because I like to back up. I'm always trying to fill in the details. The, we've got this, these people that want to leave. And God says, you know what? It's time for my people to leave. I want to do something with them. Moses, I want you to go and tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. Right? So he goes in and tells Pharaoh they need to leave to go to sacrifice to God. Right? Like, when I read the story, it's like not even like we're going to like leave and never come back. It ultimately ends up being that, right? But Pharaoh keeps saying no to what God wants. So enter the first plague. And I'm going to keep my notes straight here. All right. So this is Egypt. Most of Egypt is desert. The part that isn't desert isn't desert because of the Nile River. Right? This is the lifeblood of their economy because the water comes through, it fertilizes the land around it, and the floods, they actually rely on the floods because when it floods, the Nile overflows, the banks, overflows its banks, depositing fresh, rich soil all across the Nile so that they can grow crops near the Nile. 
right? So this is like the number one thing that's important to their entire economy. And Moses comes in and says, let my people go. They, Pharaoh says no, hits the water. All of that water turns to blood. So fishing is gone, right? They can't use it to irrigate their crops. Why is this important? This is what I love. Why these 10 plagues? Why did God use 10 plagues and why were these specific? Now, I don't really know the answer as to why this, but a lot of people have theorized as to why this may be. If you remember when um, Ryan told us, why did, why did David pick up five stones when he was going to kill Goliath with one, right? We don't really know. The Bible doesn't say, but we know that Goliath had four brothers. So kind of makes sense, right? Come back to here. Why these 10? Why these 10? Well, somebody took this and looked at this and looked at some of the major gods that Egypt had set up. Because Egypt was a polytheistic, I think I got that word right, polytheistic society. So they had many gods. There wasn't one god like we serve, right? There's, there's just one god for us. That's Jehovah, Yahweh. He's got lots of different names, but he's one god, right? So for them, they've got many gods. So this first god that we're going to talk about was and I cannot pronounce Egyptian gods' names, so just stick with me. Happy? Happy sounds great. That's just a, He was happy. All right, whatever. This Egyptian god, he was the god of the Nile. He was the water bearer. He brought the annual floods, right? So the question, or the theory here is, because I'm asking the why did this happen, right? God brings this, does something that affects everybody in the country because of the food, and he shows that he is more powerful than this God, right? He turns this God that's supposed to be bringing life to their whole community, he turns it to blood. Well, this happens. Pharaoh's like, oh no, you can't do that. Our whole country's falling apart. Hey, please pray to your God. I'll let you guys go. He's like, okay. Water turns, or blood turns back to water. And guess what? Pharaoh changes his mind, right? So we have this plague of blood on the Nile that seems to directly correlate to one of their gods. God shows, hey, you know what? I'm bigger, I'm stronger than that God. And uh, Pharaoh says, you guys can go. And as soon as they, it's fixed, he changes it. How many of you guys have ever prayed really hard for God to answer something? And then when he answered it, you stopped praying? Yeah, that's me. I've been there, I've done that, right? But you're gonna see this happen over and over again. And I've got a lot of slides, so I'm gonna try to keep moving here. Second plague. Suddenly, frogs come out of the Nile. So they've got another god called Heket. It's the Egyptian goddess, and it had a head of a frog, right? So here they are like, oh, look, we got this cool god that has a head of a frog. Suddenly, there's five bazillion frogs crawling everywhere all the time, in the pots, in your bed, everywhere you wouldn't want them to be. They are everywhere. There's frogs everywhere. God's saying, you know what? That god of yours that you think is so powerful can't control all these frogs. I control all these frogs. And again, Pharaoh's like, too much. Need you to stop. Pray to your God. I'll let you go. Praise. Frogs disappear. What happens? He changes his mind again. Okay. So God said, I'm stronger than your Nile God. I'm stronger than your frog God. The next one is, and depending on the translation, some say lice, some say gnats here. I'm not really sure which animal it was. Either of those are really, really annoying, right? Would you guys agree that nice and lice and gnats are not something I would want a bazillion of all over the place? 
But this is where we're at. Suddenly we're here and the people are dealing with this. And guess what? There is an Egyptian God that had the head of a fly. He was the God of creation and moved the sun and movement of the sun and rebirth. And his name was Kepri or something like that. Right? So again, there's this God that they think is so great. And God's like, you know what? That God that's is not that great. I control the lice and the flies and the gnats and the whatever, or the lice and the gnats, right? Same story, fourth verse, right? Praise to God, let this stop. As soon as the flies are gone, or the lice are gone, or the gnats are gone, Pharaoh changes his mind. Next thing, death of cattle and livestock. So there's, they've got this God named Hathor, who is the Egyptian goddess with the head of a cow. Man, they just pick weird faces for their gods. Okay. But this was the goddess of love and protection. Not so protective if all your animals suddenly die. Right? What happened? Same song, fifth verse. Right? I'm sorry, I'll let you all go. Just pray to your God stops this. God stops it, and he changes his mind. Okay, we're not done. We've seen Happy, Hecate, Geb, and Kepri, and Hathor. So six, ashes turned into boils. So they take these ashes and basically like throw them into the air, right? And it suddenly turns to boils on everybody. Now this hurts, right? This is physical pain on all the people. And Isis was the Egyptian goddess of medicine and peace, right? So here you've got ashes that go out. Everybody's got boils on. How many of you have ever had like a boil on their skin? You don't have to raise your hand. That might be awkward. But... Um, <laughs> I had something on my skin that hurt really, really bad. And I think it, they told me it was a boil. I don't know where it came from, what it was. I don't know anything about boils. I just remember I had something that hurt really, really bad. Can't imagine being completely covered in them, right? But that's what happened. Everybody is in pain. You can't lay down, it hurts. You can't stand up, it hurts, right? That's not enough. Things are going to keep on going. What happens next? Oh, hail rains down in the form of fire, I don't know how you have hail raining down in the form of fire, but it sounds bad, right? I mean, this is like, and there's a warning. If you read the passage, there's a warning that goes out. God says, anybody not in shelter is going to die. Like if you're out in the field, you're gonna die. Cause these, this hail probably wasn't the little, little pecks, right? Like this was enough that it was killing anything alive, destroying all the crops. And so, if you read the passage, the Israelites put all their people in shelter. And even some of the people that began to fear the God of the Israelites put their stuff in shelter. But others were like, that's not a real God. Our, or my Egyptian God will protect us. Guess what? Anything out in the field was dead. Hail rained down from the sky. If that wasn't enough, God followed that up with locusts. All right. They had a, a God and his name was actually kind of normal. Seth, so whatever. Um, I don't know why he got the loser name, but no, just kidding. Sorry, if there's anybody here that has the name Seth, I'm just kidding. I'm just, because all the other ones were so weird. This one was actually normal. Um, so Seth was the Egyptian god of storms and disorder, right? And a storm of locusts come in and basically eat anything that is vegetation, right? So this, we are on plague number eight. By this time, your cattle are dead. Your, anybody that got left outside was dead. The crops were all done. The, there was blood everywhere. I mean, this place is a disaster area now. 
And if that wasn't enough, we're going to get to a God that you may ha you probably haven't heard of the last eight, right? And maybe you have, I don't know. This one seems to show up in a lot of the movies, right? So who's the sun god in Egypt? Ra. Very, very good. Right? So you, this shows up in the movies, right? So this one, we're starting to get serious now. And God puts down three days of darkness. So this isn't just like, like three days of a solar eclipse. This is even weirder. Because if you read the Bible, it was dark and so dark where the Egyptians were, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, but it was still light where the, where the Israelites were. I mean, that would be so cool to like, just like walk through like light, dark, light, dark. I don't know. I'd probably start sneezing because like when I walk out into bright sunlight, I start sneezing. I don't know if any of you guys do that. That's just me. Sorry. Um, but that's what I would be doing. So anyways, God says, okay, you think you've got this super powerful God that's Ra, the sun god. Watch me blot out the sun for three days where you can't see, you can't move, you can't go anywhere because it is so, so dark. Again, Pharaoh says, hey, I'm done. You guys can go. And then he changes his mind. Now we're getting to the 10th plague. And one thing that you need to know about this 10th plague is, does anybody know who the most important God was in Egyptian society at this time. Pharaoh, exactly. Pharaoh himself was the most important God to the Egyptian people. This is the guy. You are to the guy now. And he's the goat of Egyptian gods, right? Except they probably have an Egyptian God that is a goat. But, um, and for those of you who don't know, that stands for greatest of all time. It's an acronym that people use. But so you've got this God that they think is the best. It is Pharaoh himself. And here's where God comes in and says, I'm even stronger than him. And this is the topic of the Passover. And I'm, I'm going to get, I, I believe I'm going to get the opportunity to share with you like a whole different sermon about the Passover because it's, it's crazy how this event ties through the entire Bible. But in short, God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to kill the firstborn over the entire land. And if, if you, you need to kill and make a sacrifice to me and put the blood on the doorposts, right? And then the firstborn won't die. Ultimately, Pharaoh didn't do this. And his child died. This was a very direct showing that God was more powerful even than their most important God. The Pharaoh that was supposed to protect them. That all the... From the people's perspective, all these plagues happened and then Pharaoh did something and the plague stopped, right? They didn't necessarily know that Pharaoh agreed to let the Israelites go and that Moses prayed to the God of heaven and then it stopped. All they saw was their king, their Pharaoh, their best God up there. And the day that he couldn't protect his own son, Pharaoh finally broke down and let them go. So we've got this story that started with Abraham and all that led up to get them into Egypt. Now God's starting to move them out of Egypt and plague after plague after plague, God's showing that, hey, I'm in charge. This is what's going to happen and you guys have to obey me. So they finally get out of Egypt. They start walking away and what does Pharaoh do? 
he changes his mind again. Right? So if, I'm not going to spend much time on this part, but if you guys have heard the story, right, of crossing the Red Sea, right, they, they get all the way to the Red Sea. He's got them pinned in, ready to slaughter them all. Cloud comes down. He can't get through. Ocean, or the sea opens up. They walk through. He's, then the cloud comes up like a trap. All of his people head into the Red Sea, and then the water comes back and wipes out his entire army. Again, God is more powerful than all of these things. Sounds like a great story. But why? We asked, why were they in Egypt? We asked, why these ten plagues? So now I ask you, why would God put this story in the Bible? And why does it matter to me in 2023? That's an interesting question, because... God took the time to put it in the Bible. He probably didn't do it just so I had a freaky bedtime story to tell my kids, right? So why did God put this in the Bible? Well, over and over, what did we see in each one of these plagues, including what did we see at the Red Sea? It was God saying, I'm stronger than these gods that you've set up. Saying, I... I don't need you to protect yourself. I need you to trust me. You know, (laughs) what happened after that? Because this is so, so me in some ways. Because we see God do these amazing things and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And you got to read this story. I mean, crazy other stuff happened. Like the, the Egyptians gave them all their gold and said, please just leave. We're done with this. So they went from being slaves to being the richest group of people basically on the planet, walking out through the desert. Then they freak out because suddenly there's these chariots coming after them. God opens the thing and they go on through and wipes out the whole army that was chasing them. You'd think by now they'd be like, our God's pretty awesome, right? What happens after that? Oh, Mount Sinai. Who's heard of the Ten Commandments? Who knew that the Ten Commandments came two times? (laughs) Interesting story. First time the Ten Commandments came, Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God, writing all this stuff down, comes down, and what are the people doing? They're worshiping another God. I mean, God just said, okay, I'm going to, that God, not important. That God, not, I've been through all 10 of those. Oh, an entire army, not a big deal. I got that. A few minutes, a few months, I don't know how long later, right? They get to this thing. They see the mountain engulfed with smoke and flame and Moses is up there meeting with God and they're like, I think I need an idol to worship. What? So they take all this gold that they were given. God said, you know, you were slaves. I want you to leave rich. They leave and what do they do with all the riches they got? They said, let's melt it down and make a golden calf that we can worship it. This is so the human thing that we do. God can do something absolutely amazing for us. And how quickly can we forget what God has done? Who was here last Sunday and heard the testimonies from this spot right here on the floor of what our God had done? Who had a struggle this week that they forgot what God had done for them? Did you have a time this week where you, you, something bad started happening and you thought about, you know what, my God did all that Sunday morning and I got to worship. Or did you think, man, how am I going to get through this? What do I need to do to solve this problem? 
I don't know about you, but I was convicted that some point this week I was really sad and struggling with stuff because and I wasn't thinking about standing here. I stood here. I stood here and testified to what my God had done. And then I struggled this week. The children of Israel are no different than me because they were sitting out there and they were like, I don't know what to do right now. Let's make an idol. Yeah, Chancy, but you didn't make an idol, didn't I? We've got to read. Let's read the Ten Commandments. Because while all of this was happening at the bottom of the mountain, God was up the mountain giving the Ten Commandments, giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. And you've got to listen to what this says. I think it's going to be up here behind me, too. God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Do you think God saw the irony in that as it was being scratched into the stone and they were at the bottom of the mountain? Come on. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or above the earth or beneath or in the waters below. I mean, I just... I don't know, there's those memes that you see, right, with the kid going like, you know, I wish I had that meme, that would have been great. Like, God's face sometimes when he's like, yeah, here, I'm going to write these out for you, but by the way, they're down there doing this. This is the first, like, written form of communication between God and humans, and what does he choose to write about? The one thing you would think they would have had figured out by now, Right? You shall not bow down to them. You shall not worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. We've got a God that loves us so much that he's doing this. He's writing this for us while we are dealing with it. The Bible says God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. I didn't have to become perfect before Jesus loved me. And I'm so thankful for that because I'm not perfect. I don't stand up here pretending to be perfect. I don't get to be share the word of God with you because I'm perfect. I'm sharing the word of God with you because God has called me to do it. And this is what I'm giving you today. I'm, we're looking at what the Bible says. How did we get here? This is the asking why. Over and over. We're reading this. So God did this for the people that were at the bottom of the mountain, messing up the very thing he was telling them not to do. Again, why does this matter for me in 2023? I told you that I was convicted about my own, my own heart when I stood right there this morning. And I am so likely to forget. But I need to tell you something. My God is greater than my struggles and my God is greater than my idols. Because you need to know that. Because Matthew twenty-two thirty-five says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. When they asked Jesus as he was walking the earth, they said, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your mind, with all your mind. When God wrote the Ten Commandments, the first of the Ten Commandments was to what? Love the Lord your God. 
We get so caught up in dealing with all the other things, we forget that we've messed up the first one. So let's look, we've looked at that first one. So the question is now, why did God put this in the Bible? Why does it matter to me in 2023? How do I apply this? Because what is an idol? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. I just took, God is greater than my struggles. We sat up here and we talked, testified to our struggles. But we have the opportunity and we have the, the weak, how to say this? We struggle sometimes with these things so much that our struggle becomes our focus instead of our God being our focus. Right? The reason we sit here and we testify and we take the time and the opportunity and we took the whole service to testify to that our God is greater than our struggles. And if you have something that you're struggling here with today, that's okay. We're not here to judge you. We're here to struggle through it with you. Because sometimes God says, my grace is sufficient for you and I'm going to carry you through that struggle. And sometimes God shows up and just obliterates the struggle. And I can't predict which he's going to do. Because we have a God that has his own purposes and what he's going to choose to do. So if I don't know whether God's going to destroy your struggle or just carry you through your struggle, I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to walk through it with you as closely as I can. Because here at the Body of Dayton, we want to see people come to know Jesus Christ, but we want to see lives changed and not just an outward change where people look different than they did last week. Because it's not, we don't count success by the number of people that raised a hand. We don't count success by the number of people who don't do that thing anymore. We count success by people that can say, I love the Lord, my God, more than anything else in the world. Because he is above any idol and he is above any struggle. So we've talked about struggles. What about idols? Do we have idols today? The answer is yes. I don't have a little golden calf in my house. Um, if I did, I'd probably cash it in and buy something nicer. But what things have we made idols? Because sometimes the thing that we wanted and we thought was going to bring us salvation ends up putting us in bondage. For the children of Israel, they were, way back, children, for the literal children of Israel, the 11 brothers and Israel himself, or um, Jacob was his first name, then he became called Israel. They thought the salvation was moving to Egypt and getting all this food. They basically won the lottery. They had to, they now had their own land. They had their own food. They had the second in command in the entire country on their side as their brother. Let a little time pass and now they're slaves in the place that was supposed to be their salvation. That's what they thought. They leave Egypt. They get loads of gold. They turn it into a calf and become slaves to another idol. What is it in your life that you have 
decided you wanted so bad that this is the thing that's going to make me happy. And you've gotten more focused on that than focused on God. Sometimes it's a relationship. Man, if I just wasn't lonely anymore, if I just had that special someone in my life, maybe, maybe if I just had enough money, then, then, then my life would be so much better. And then you get so focused on trying to get that money. But maybe that you wanted the special someone so bad, then you got them and realized that wasn't the blessing that you wanted. <laughs> Because they're not that. And maybe you got the money and realized that the love of money and the pursuit of money isn't all it's cracked up to be because it doesn't solve all your problems. It can solve some problems for a time. But this is not what God has called you to. And I'm just giving a couple of examples because I don't know what that is for you. Maybe you wanted the car and you got that great car and now you spend all your time fixing that car. If I didn't have to rent and I had a house, then you get a house and the storm comes and blows the roof off and the, the water softener's not working and you know the mower broke down, I can't even mow the yard. And, right? The things that we can get so focused on that I will be happy when, and God's just sitting there saying, I'm right here. That isn't what's going to make you happy because you can focus on all of these things over and over and over again, but they aren't what God's calling you to do. And they aren't what God's telling you is going to bring you fulfillment and joy. So I encourage you to search your heart today because is there a struggle that you've been going through that is so overwhelming that it's taking your focus off of Jesus Christ? Is there something that you're so focused on that's going to bring you happiness that you're more, you think about that more than you do your relationship with God? Because that's my challenge to you today. Plain and simple is where's your focus? Today we're talking about Bible study. And I suggested the weapon of Why? We started asking why. Why were they in Egypt? Then why did God use those 10 plagues? Shoot, we could ask, why did God give that as the first commandment and the greatest commandment? Because he knew we were going to mess it up. There's another part to this, too, that is the why can be hard to ask. Chancy, I don't know why this is. I don't understand this. I've tried to read my Bible and it doesn't make sense to me. What do I do? Ask why. Who do I ask? Well, we've got these great people in the back that have these badges that say, ask me. And they're probably all going to kill me now because you're going to go back to ask them a hard question. <laughs> you know, one thing about the body of Dayton is we're not just afraid to say, I don't know, but I'll help you find the answer. So if you want to know why and you want a safe place to ask why, come to our gathering groups. Because we had some awesome conversation Friday night asking why about a few things. Why does God ask us to tithe? Why does God, right? Those are safe places to ask those questions. Ask somebody in the back. If they don't know the answer, 
they will help you come find Pastor Dwayne. <laughs> or me. Or any of the pastors here. Ask someone else. And we will work together to find that answer. Because I don't totally understand the Bible. There's stuff in here where I'm like, I don't know. I don't understand why God did it that way. And I'm not saying that every time we read a Bible story, we can ask the question of why and suddenly totally understand what God did. I mean, the whole, the whole 10 plagues. God never said it's, I'm calling out the Ra, the sun God, when I do this, right? This is us trying to understand it, saying, hey, look, this lines up and it makes sense. So what are we going to do about it? Let's come together and use that weapon of why. Because the more we understand, the more likely we are to do it. I know as a parent, there's some times where I just want to tell my kids, just do it. And they're like, but why, Dad? Because I said so, right? I want that to be good enough. But there are, there's obedience that comes out of fear or respect or honor, right? We could just do it because God says so. But I don't think that all of the things in the Bible, God just said so without wanting us to understand. Because as we seek into it, right, these things reveal to us who his character and who he is. And oh my goodness, I can't wait for you guys to see that when we go through the story of the Passover. Because it's bloody and terrible and innocent kids are dying and you're like, what is going on? Right? What is this telling me about God's character? And we'll get into that story a different time. But I can tell you what you ho I hope you see in God's character today. And that's he's got you here because he wanted you to hear this. He wanted you to know in the midst of your struggle against some, something difficult in your life, he wanted you to know that he is greater than that thing. The same way he was greater than 10 plagues, the same way he was greater than Pharaoh's army, he was and is greater than whatever you're dealing with today. As you look through whatever it is you may have set up in your life as an idol that's distracting you, he is greater than that thing. So I hope you remember that as you leave today. And the only way you're going to have a chance to practice this is to be in your word. Because as I said, we don't measure success here by raised hands and people saying they believe in Jesus. And don't misunderstand. We absolutely believe people having an encounter with Jesus Christ and being saved is, is vitally important. But that's not the end. That's my point in that, right? It's not like we want you saved and then you're good. It's about building a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about in these moments having me, as someone who's known and been saved since I was a little kid, having a moment where God says, I need to work on this in your life. Because we're not done. We're not fixed. We're not perfect. But we're walk walking towards Christ together. And we're walking towards a personal relationship with him. And that requires repentance. Because here at the body of Dayton, we still believe that repentance is needed. And repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is turning away from the th that thing. So if you need to come up here, you can. If you need to just pray in your seat, you can. 
But I really encourage you to take this opportunity to repent of putting something else in front of Jesus Christ. Because God has shown he is willing to do some pretty crazy stuff to get people's attention. And I don't want him to have to go to that extent in my life. I want to have a relationship with him where he says, hey, Chansey, do you remember Sunday? As you're struggling with this right now, do you remember Sunday and the testimonies of how great I am? Rely on that. And I want that to come in a still small voice and I want to repent and change there before God has to come with the two by four and hit me really, really hard until I remember that he is the greatest God on the planet and there are no others. There isn't a ranking. This is my engineer saying it's binary. It's zero or one. It's true or false. There is God and there is nothing else. And we won't stop saying that here. We don't back away from the truth that's in the word of God. I skipped one of the verses I was going to read you earlier. But in the middle of that, God, in the middle of the plagues, God says, I'm doing this so that Pharaoh, that all the people of the Egypt and all the people of Israel will know that I am God. You're the people sitting here in church that profess to know Jesus Christ. He's doing it so that you too know that he is God. Don't overlook it. Don't walk past it. Don't be like, oh yeah, I know that God is greater than everything else. Take a moment. Let him be greater than the thing you need to do in the next five minutes. And fellowship with him. And I hope you lay that down when you come in to worship him in song. But I hope you lay that down when you come to worship him to put those things out of your mind during the speaking time when God's trying to speak to you through the words in his book. Because the same discipline of putting him first and singing about how great he is needs to be played out 10 minutes later when there's some dude in a flannel shirt talking from the front. Not because I'm important and you should listen to me, but because this is important. Thank you for listening with me this morning. Please search your heart. See what it is God wants to change in your life. And I look forward to standing up here with you, testifying to what God has changed in us. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Thank you for your patience with me. God, I stand before you as someone who knows and has known for all of my life, it seems like, that you are the God of the universe, the one and the only God. <laughs> and like Peter walking on water who looked away for a moment and stopped keeping his eyes on you and began to sink, I struggled with that this week. Lord, I stood in front of this church and testified about all of your blessings, and then I struggled and worried about your blessings this week. Forgive me, Father. Forgive us. Lord, we want to be a church that loves you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our blessings.
with all of our time. God, you alone are worthy. And we acknowledge that in this moment. Thank you for putting these stories into your words so we can read them over and over again when we forget and we make a mistake. And Lord, thank you that you're God enough to handle our whys. Because there are some whys in my life that I just don't understand. There's people that I've lost, and I don't understand why. But you are God. So God, I'm glad that in this situation, even though I know you're not just going to come and destroy that trial and I'm not going to see that person until heaven. You are going to walk me through that trial and walk me through that loss. loss. Walk me through the pain of missing someone. God, thank you. Lord, we repent of our, of our lack of focus on you. We repent for not putting you first and foremost. Thank you for loving us anyways and being there to catch us when we turn around and seek your face. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming to the Body Dayton. I hope you're blessed. Have a great day.